Today's scripture reading comes from the Gospel of John 4, verses 21 to 26. Please follow along in your own Bibles or on the screen in front or simply listen as the passage is read aloud. There are also copies of the Bible on the cart in the back. Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Amen. Good morning. All right, I heard about two people over there that said good morning. Let's try it again. Good morning. Amen. We are glad to be in the house of the Lord and uh, glad to see all of your smiling faces again on this morning as we are in the last Sunday, uh, can you believe it, of June already uh, halfway through 2019 and going into the latter half. Uh, last week we prayed for our parents and our teachers as uh, uh, they've been home with our kids, and we continue prayers throughout this summertime for all of you, um, and that uh, God will bless you. Um, let's just go to the, war, uh, to the Lord in prayer before we begin the message this morning. Father, we thank you so much for your word, which is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We pray that as your word goes forth this morning, Lord, you would anoint uh, everything that is said this morning, oh God. You would open our ears to help us to hear all that you want us to hear. And Lord, you would allow us, oh God, um, to have a heart of worship in all that we do. In Christ Jesus' name we do pray. Amen and amen. Um, again, uh, let me say, uh, my name is Pastor Joseph Radefi. I'm one of the pastors at Mars Hill Fellowship Church, and I want to say welcome to each and every one of you, especially to those who are first-time visitors here this morning. Um, a hearty welcome from our leadership team. Uh, we're glad you're here and a part of the family. Uh, during the summertime, we know that a number of uh, our members travel, and so we have a little bit lighter attendance uh, from week to week, but we still gather together every week to come together and to give glory to God and to praise his name. And so uh, we're thankful for those who are uh, both here and away, and we're praying for traveling mercies for those who are not present with us here today. And, uh, you know, one of the good things about if you're traveling, it's also an opportunity to also visit other churches um, uh, while you're out of town um, to also just see how God is moving throughout uh, the world and the nation. And I know some people are traveling internationally and in other places, and uh, it's always exciting just to see that. Um, oftentimes we can be focused on what God is doing right here in Brookline and in our local context, but sometimes it's amazing just to travel outside of what we're used to and see that God is moving throughout the world. Amen? 
Amen. God doesn't take summer off. God is still still working throughout the world, and we're thankful for that. Um, last week, we, be, we shared part two of the series entitled, Where Is It Written? Uh, who We Are. And in this series, um, we have taken a look at some of the values and characteristics of our churches that both unify us and are also some of the distinct elements uh, unique to each of our churches. As uh, Pastor John mentioned, we have two churches that are worshiping together, and one of the beauty is that it is Christ that unites us, but our expression of worship, uh, there are things that also are different between uh, our two churches. And so through the course of this series, what our hope is, is that we can share about some of the practices and principles that are a part of our two churches, and we can also in that explain where is it written in the Word of God so that you understand that what we are doing is biblical, amen? Um, and although it might be different from what we are used to or what is our preference, um, we can find where God moves through those different expressions. Um, so we understand the biblical foundation that grounds us um, in what we do from week to week. Uh, we started the series two weeks ago where Pastor John began talking about one of the themes that unifies both of our churches and really should, if, if someone calls himself a church, uh, it should unify every church, which is the centrality of the word of God. Uh, it's important that what we are teaching and what we are preaching is not based upon the opinions of man. It's not based upon what the New York Times or Wall Street Journal or Boston Herald is saying this week. It is based upon the forever true word of God, which becomes the foundation for each and every one of our lives. And so we talked about how the centrality of the word of God is something that unites us. Last week, I began talking about one of the unique aspects of Mars Hill Fellowship Church, which is the spirit-filled life. And we talked about the instruction that the Apostle Paul and Jesus also gave to us to live by the spirit. And we talked about what that looked like and some of the expressions uh, that uh, are a part of living by the spirit. This week, I want to kind of continue in that thread, um, and it really builds upon the foundation that we talked about last week. And this week, I want to uh, continue with another one of the core values from Mars Hill Fellowship Church. And this is entitled Inspired Worship. Inspired Worship. Um, it's deeply connected to an understanding of living by the Spirit. And um, it, it, you see it in the text that we read this morning. And I'll just go ahead and kind of read the core value for us this morning, and then we will go more into the text this morning to share that. Uh, Minister Cassandra, if you could, if you could put up the uh, first, um, sorry, the first slide um, that uh, gives us uh, our core value. And it simply says this, we envision the church as a multicultural and multi-ethnic expression of passionate believers united or unified around the purpose of worshiping God in spirit and in truth. So there is something, it's not just that we're gathered together as passionate believers, but there has to be something that unites us, something that brings us together, and that is worshiping God in spirit and in truth. We see believers learning. Uh, so one of the things we're going to talk about is that worship is something that we learn to do. God 
created us to worship, but we have to learn how to express that worship uh, back to him in the way that he desires. And so we see believers learning how to worship through a diversity of styles and expression that bring glory to God. We creatively utilize the technical and performing arts, music, dance, drama, creative writing, and art to bring glory to God. This is a core value of Mars Hill Fellowship Church, and I'll explain more about how that fits in uh, with what we are talking about in terms of inspired worship this morning. Now, one of the things that's important to understand is that the term worship is very broad, and in today's message, I'm going to attempt to focus in more give us a general outline of worship, what that is, but then to narrow down in on the idea of what we call corporate worship. Um, and this is our gathering together that we have this morning. And I want to talk more specifically about um, the unique aspects of expression during our time of corporate worship. And um, what I'll hope to do is give you some practical tools that you can put into place um, as you grow in worship. Amen? Amen. Amen. So this is, will be a learning sermon this morning. To, to ground our message this morning, I wanted to share um, a little bit about a story of how I began to understand um, more about the depth of what worship truly meant. Uh, growing up, most of my Sundays were spent in children's church. As I shared earlier, um, I started playing piano for children's church in fifth grade and eventually became the director of children's ministry uh, all throughout high school. Um, when I went off to college, I had one of the most daunting experiences as I was searching for a church away from home. Some of our college students, you recognize that when you get into a new place or a, a new city, or some of you who have transitioned for work and came to a new city, it can be tough to find a good church home where you feel comfortable, you feel welcome, you feel a part of the community, and that you can also bring your gifts and talents to that. And, and uh, to be honest with you, um, I was in services and, uh, you know, going from children's church to, I called it big church. Um, so when I was in big church, um, I found it quite, if I can be honest, boring. Um, the songs were boring. People seemed to just routinely sing songs that they did not really mean. It seemed like people were not really happy to be in the presence of the Lord, but they did it out of ritual or obligation. Um, one of the challenges that I felt was that I wanted not to wake up early on a Sunday as a college student and feel like I just wasted three hours of my time, but I wanted to give a sacrifice unto God where I felt engaged and a part of what God was doing in the midst. Um, as I was searching for a church, um, one Sunday, one of my Filipino friends who um, was one of my best, uh, one of my groomsmen in my wedding, um, he invited me to go to his church. Now, if I can be honest, um, you know, here I was as an African-American man, and uh, my Filipino friend was saying, why don't you come to church with me? Now, let me be honest. I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, this is going to be another boring church service. 
I'm going to be the only African-American in the service, and uh, I'm not really going to enjoy this. But I couldn't say no to my friend. And so to my surprise, um, my friend brings me to the church. And the funny part of it was it was a predominantly African-American church, but it was, I was brought there by my Filipino friend. But let me back up a little bit to share about this story. Um, I remember getting out of the car um, uh, with my friend, Dr. Emmanuel De- Dizon. And uh, as we were going into this church, uh, the Dunamis Outreach Ministries under the leadership of the late pastor Reginald Lane, um, Dunamis was, I would call, one of my most unique and life-changing experiences um, in being a part of a church and also learning so much about who God is and what it meant to worship God uh, in spirit and in truth. And One of the things that drew me to this congregation of believers um, was the spirit of worship that was within uh, this congregation. Um, The church was meeting at that time at a local middle school. And um, when we arrived, uh, and and to give context, we were in Southfield, which was a neighboring suburb of Detroit, Michigan. And uh, I grew up in the uh, Michigan area. And um, as we got out of the car, we arrived at the front door and standing at the front door were two greeters who were there at the front door. Um, Deacon Tamoy, can you, can you come forward for a moment? And uh, I'm just going to borrow uh, him for a moment. Um, just, just give me your, you know, your bouncer kind of look uh, standing uh, in front of there. Now, <laughs> um, so if I can give you what I was feeling at that moment, um, When I got out of the car and standing at the front of the doorway were these two men who were probably about 6'4", looked like they could bench press about 400 pounds, looked like, you know, probably Rikers Island was fun for them. And they were standing there and my immediate thought was, they're guarding from something going on on the inside that I don't need to be in. So you can imagine my surprise as, you know, Deacon Tamoy standing in and looking, looking nice and, and, and hard there. Um, you can imagine my surprise as I get to the front of the Dunamis Outreach Ministries and I'm kind of shyly walking up like, uh, hi. And these brothers, as I came to the front, I'm expecting some, you know, deep, hey. These brothers came and say. Come on, come here, give me a hug. They said, welcome to the Dunamis Outreach Ministries. We're so glad you're here today. Thank you, Deacon Tamor. So my first picture was confusing. Because in my mind, I saw people, and and they'll share their testimony, who were ex-gangbangers. But God had transformed them. And they were using even their opportunity to greet at the door as an opportunity to worship God and to show the love of Christ. And what amazed me is as I would go into the service and worship was going on. Now, uh, this was the late 90s, and uh, uh, those of you, I'm going I'm to reveal my age a little bit. This was the day when Kooji sweaters were in, and, you know, it was, it, was, it was in that day, you know, the brothers were in there, you know, with Kooji sweaters. And one of the things that you may not know about the African-American church is that uh, one of the challenges is that Oftentimes, you don't always see 
men in church in the African-American church. And um, it's not across all churches, but, you know, a lot of times men are absent from the church. And so what shocked me as I came into that uh, worship service was that the men who were there who were leading worship, I saw men who were from every walk of life. Some were professionals. Some were ex-cons. Some were people who were blue-collar workers. But one thing was consistent across all of them is that they worshiped God as if you knew that God had done something amazing in their life that they wanted everybody to know how good God was. I was amazed to see men who I thought, man, I wouldn't mess with him coming to the altar, crying their hearts out. And the challenge was it wasn't just about men doing that, but it was a whole body of believers who had experienced something so real and tangible that their worship was saturated with an expression of thankfulness back unto God. It challenged me to know, what is this God that made them respond in this way, and how could I know him more? You know, in many churches and for many cultures, worship is associated with a particular music style or expression, but the core of worship is much bigger than external actions, but it is rooted in what I call heart position. Say that with me, heart position. Worship is rooted in a heart position. And what that means is that throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, worship was a central part of the practice of faith. And our first reminder of this comes from the first commandment, which we recently studied. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. The instruction in the first commandment was no other gods. I am the only God. Which later in the book of Exodus, this is what the Lord says to his people in Exodus chapter number 34. He says, you must worship no other gods for the Lord whose very name is Jealous is a God who is jealous about his relationship with you. Perhaps the best way to understand worship is found in the New Testament scriptures on worship. In our text this morning, we read from John 4, 23 to 24. I don't have time this morning to go through a deep exposition of this text, but here we see that Jesus is dealing with a Samaritan woman whose regular practices and acts of worship, uh, who regularly practiced acts of worship, but didn't recognize when Jesus was standing before her. Isn't that amazing? She spent time doing religious deeds, but the one who she was worshiping, she didn't even recognize when he was before her. That means that she, through her worship, never really got to know the person who she was worshiping. 
In this, Jesus' response was that true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And the Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is a spirit, so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. We learn a couple of important practices from this passage. The first thing that we learn is that there is a difference between true worship and manufactured worship. Let me say that again. There is a difference between true worship and manufactured worship. Jesus condemned many of the Pharisees in Matthew because what he said was that they worship God with their lips, but their hearts were far from him. You know, we're living in a day and age where we can say a whole lot of words, we can post a whole lot of things, but they don't necessarily line up with the reality of where our life is at and where things, what things are really happening. You've seen the selfie culture where people will go out and take selfie pictures doing all kinds of things that they really didn't do, but in order to show everybody that they did do those things, they took a selfie in that spot or that location. Well, this was what Jesus was saying. You're faking it. It's manufactured worship when you worship me with simply your lips, but your heart, your heart position is far from me. What Jesus was saying was, I don't need your words. I need your heart. And that is the true essence of what worship truly looks like. So number one, there's a difference between true worship and manufactured worship. The second thing that we learn from the text is that we also learn that worship is not about what we want to give to God, but about surrendering what God wants from us. Let me say that again so that you hear that clearly. Worship is not about what we want to give to God. But worship is about surrendering what God wants from us. L let me give a practical example. How many of you here have ever participated in a canned food drive? Okay. All right. So a good number of you have participated in canned food drive. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands on this, but you can just kind of nod your head or wink at me uh, when I say this, if this is you. How many of you, when they ask you to get cans together for the canned food drive, how many of you go to the pantry and find all the stuff that you cannot stand or cannot eat and has been sitting in your pantry probably for the last two and a half years and say, let me give this because I want to get rid of it? Don't, don't raise your hand. Just wink at me. All right, all right, I see a few winks. The challenge is that most of us treat worship in that way. When we come to worship God, we want to give what we want to give to God. But God wants from us the full surrender. And out of that full surrender, it allows us to be able to sacrifice everything that we are and everything that we have in order to worship God with our whole being. He is looking, God is looking for those who worship him in the way that he desires. Too often we have made worship more about us than about God. 
But when we, but the worship that God is looking for is an expression of adoration, submission, thankfulness, surrender, and reverence. Finally, we see that worship is an expression of both spirit and truth. Worship emanates from the heart. And words are not anointed for worship. People are. But words are one way we express what is in the heart. What does the word of God say? Out of the abundance of the heart, what happens? Anybody know their scripture? The mouth speaks. Amen. We got a few Bible scholars here. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Let me let you in on one of my pastoral tricks. If you want to know what's really going on in someone's heart, just let them talk for a while. Because eventually, what's deep down on the heart is going to boil up. Because out of the abundance of what is in the heart, the mouth will speak. So what does that mean? It means this. It means that God uses words as one of our tools that we can use to worship him. But that is not the only tool that God uses. Um, One of the things that we have been intentional about trying to do at Mars Hill Fellowship Church is use a variety of tools to express our worship towards God. So that includes some of the technical and performing arts, meaning music, dance, drama, creative writing, art. And all across this room, I know there are many talented people in all of these different areas. But not only do we use those as opportunities to worship, but we also use our vocation as an opportunity to worship God. We also can use when the ODM team is greeting as an opportunity to worship God. We can use the passing of the peace as an opportunity to worship God through our smiles and kindness. We can use serving in ministry as an opportunity to worship God through how we give our talents back unto God. So when we recognize the essence of worship, we see it is much broader than singing a tune. And here's something that I want to release and give freedom to you. Guess what? You don't have to be able to sing to worship God. Come on, all the, all the people who can't, uh, uh, it's all right if you can't hold a note. It's all right if you sing in every key. Um, it's all right. God still wants your worship. Now, Worshiping in spirit and in truth means we have to move away from what I call simple formulas of worship and allow the spirit of God to reveal to us aspects and layers of who he is and invite us to respond to the comprehensive nature of that revelation. So in the New Testament, the most used Greek word for worship is proskuneo, and it means to draw near to something. Um, in literal terms, it, it, it actually means to kneel before someone. Uh, most of us are familiar with med- medieval culture where subjects would come before a king or someone who was a higher authority, and they would kneel and or they would kiss the ring, and that was an object of saying, I am submitting to your leadership or to your lordship. And what worship truly is, is an act of submission to say, Christ is Lord over all. And I am submitting myself to his lordship. 
Another simple way to look at it is actually the English word that we get worship, and it's derived from the literal expression worth-ship. Worth-ship, meaning to ascribe or to attribute honor, reverence, or worth to something. So it means that in this life we ascribe worth to all different things. Some of us value these things above all these things. But at the end of the day, what the scriptures teach us is worship means ascribing the highest value to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so when we sing, our, our, our question that we ask to the Lord is that, is my singing ascribing to the Lord the worth that he is due? Is my dancing, is my career, is my serving in ministry, is my greeting, is everything that I'm doing ascribing the proper worth to the God that I am worshiping, or am I simply doing it because it's habit, and this is what I'm used to? We ascribe to him the value that is due his name, and this is reflected in the scripture in First Chronicles 16 and 29, which says, Give to the Lord the glory that he deserves. Bring your offering and come into his presence. Worship the Lord in all his holy splendor. There's one seat that always must be reserved for the Lord of lords and the king of kings. When I think about inspired worship, I have the opportunity uh, a few weeks back to learn a little bit more about the story of one of our members here at High Rock Brookline. And as she began sharing about her testimony and uh, what the Lord is doing in this season in her life, I asked her to share a little bit about her story with us today. And I think it will be helpful for us to be able to understand what it means to be inspired in worship and to recognize that in everything that we do, it's an opportunity for us to give worship to God. Sister Lena, would you come forward and just share with us a little bit this morning? Come on, let's welcome her as she comes. Hello, everyone. My name is Lena. Today, I would like to share with you my personal journey with God and music. My mom and I came to the United States in 1997 and settled in Queens, Flushing. I was 13 at the time, very shy, very chubby, and having very short hair like a boy. When I went to junior high school, kids bullied me for my look and for not speaking English. Coming to the States was a big culture shock, and for the first time, I felt very hurt, frustrated, and lonely. My dad's friends suggested we go to church so I could meet some Mandarin-speaking friends. My parents never went to church, but I did. My first experience with church was an immigrant youth group. Most kids in the group barely spoke Mandarin, but they tried really hard to communicate with me and cared for me. I went to youth group meeting every Saturday morning because people were very kind, and also there was an old piano in the basement. I began piano lessons in China when I was eight years old. After coming to the States, we did not have much money nor a piano. Somehow I missed playing very much, and being able to play on the church piano meant a lot for me. Through Bible studies and fellowship with others, I accepted Christ a year later and served in the church's adult choir. 
during July and August, I would go to the church, spend a whole afternoon on the church piano for four or five hours, sweating through my clothes because there was no air conditioning. My mom eventually made enough money to buy a second-hand piano for me. Since then, I began to take piano seriously. When I was 17, my family moved to Canada. Fast forward to 2014, I became pregnant with my second uh, child, Wesley, when my uh, first child, Abby, was not even a year old. I quit my accompanying job at the university and decided to stay home for the coming year. Staying home was very difficult for me. In the summer, I learned that a Lutheran church was hiring a music director, and one of the requirements was to play on the organ for services. Playing organ has been a secret dream I had. Whenever I heard organ music in a church, I feel so peaceful and comforted. But learning the organ isn't easy, because one needs to find an instrument to practice on. I was excited when I heard about the job, but also worried because I didn't have any organ skill. After a lot of self-debate and prayer, I applied for the position. With one crush course given by my professor, I went in the job interview, played on the organ manuals and faked my way through with a lot of finger overlapping. <laughs> with God's grace, I was chosen among our final three candidates and therefore began working as an organist and choir director five months into my second pregnancy. I took weekly organ lessons and practiced almost every day. Our congregation was made up of mostly older German immigrants who were very knowledgeable on classical music, and especially the organ. <laughs> they saw how hard I worked, and they always supported and encouraged me. My parents babysat kids when I had to practice. When they couldn't babysit, I got up at 5 a.m. and drove to the church to practice, and came back at 7.30 before Gary went to work. Besides planning for the weekly services and practicing, I also prepared for my doctoral audition materials. I worked at a Lutheran church for two years before coming to Boston. Being a new mom was very difficult, and the lack of sleep often left me feeling depressed. Learning the organ helped me to go through this difficult period. God not only, God not only gave me a chance to serve him while going through pregnancy and birth, but also healed me through organ playing. God has drawn me close to him through music. I look forward to serve him more with my skills. I would like to play two songs. The first one is What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And this is one of my favorite hymns. The second one is a Chinese worship song translated as the most beautiful blessing of my life. Thank you. 
Sister Lena, if you would just come uh, real briefly. Brother Gary, would you come too and just stand um, by your wife? We want to pray for them. Um, one of the th reasons I asked um, Sister Lena to share her story is because so often in church we can see the gifts that we have and think about how can that be used for the glory of God. And the reality is, is that whatever gift that God has given to us, we can use it as an instrument of worship. Now, she may be playing classical music or professionally in, in halls and arenas, but that becomes an act of worship that she can give back to God every time that she plays and a testimony to what God is doing. And so I want to pray for them, even in this next season, as she finishes up all of her doctoral studies. <laughs> She'll need the grace of God in this next season and for their family. But I also want us to stand in the gap with them that as we pray for them, we can also pray to say, God, what are the gifts and talents you've given me? And how can I use them, not only in service to here, High Rock Brookline and Mars Hill Fellowship Church, but also to his kingdom at large? Some of you look in some of the gifts that God has given you, and they've laid dormant, but God wants to use them as an act of worship. Can we just pray for them this morning? Father, we thank you, Lord, for this beautiful couple. We thank you for the testimony that has been shared this morning. We thank you for uh, their two wonderful children, Abby and Wesley. And we just pray, oh God, Lord, that you, as you have anointed them, Lord, that you will continue to empower them to be able to do great things for your kingdom. We thank you for just the testimony of faithfulness, Lord. Um, and even just, Lord, the gifts that you placed inside of them. Some of us didn't even know
uh, some of these skills and talents that they have. But, Lord, we thank you that you are using them for your glory. And so, Father, we pray upon this next season that you will bless them in every way and that they, oh, God, Lord, will bring glory to your name and everything that they say and do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So as we close this morning, I just want to share with you um, some ways or some active ways that we can worship God. We don't have time this morning to go through each of them. But in our worship to God, uh, God says that he's given us instruments to be able to worship him. And one of the things that we need to understand is that how we express worship can differ from culture to culture. But the key thing is that we surrender our thoughts about what we want to give God and make sure that we give him our all and our best. Worship is what God desires, not based upon the genre of music or not based upon the loudness or the quietness of the music, but it is based upon the heart position of our worship. Worship is detrimental when it becomes emotionless, routine activity that we do not engage in wholeheartedly. God instructs us to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, which also means that our worship should emanate from those areas of our lives. So it means that as we love God with our heart, we also worship him with our heart. As we love God with our mind, it means we also worship him through our mind and the engaging of our mind. As we love God with our soul, we also worship him from the depths of our soul. And as we love God with our strength, strength, we also worship him with the strength that he has given to us. If I can encourage you, it is to be active participants in worship, not consumers of worship. Um, when I talk about instruments, there's a chart that I'll put on here and uh, we'll find a way to post that to those um, who may want to utilize it. And real briefly, I'm just going to highlight these. In the area of the spoken voice, God has given some instruments to be able to worship him. Uh, in speaking, Psalms 34.1 says, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praises shall always be on our lips. So one of the ways that you can worship him, you often hear us encouraging you to say, amen, hallelujah or praise the Lord. Uh, when you say those or speak those words, what you are doing is worship God by affirming what has been said or his word that has gone forth. And so we can say amen, hallelujah, or praise the Lord. That was a good place to say amen. <laughs> Amen. Um, the second area that we can worship God in the spoken voice is by shouting. The uh, Psalms 27 and 6 says, um, I will sing and make music to the Lord. I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. And so one of the things is the Lord invites us to shout. And, you know, one of the things that always amazes me is that we were just at a Revolution soccer game last night. And it is amazing because when they scored the last goal at the 90th minute, the whole stadium erupted in shouts of joy. Now, Xavier, who doesn't like loud noise, started covering his ear and said, why do they have to shout like that? And I said, you know when you win Mario Party and you got to rub it in to everybody else that you won and you're so excited and you start shouting with joy? I was like, that's the same way people feel about soccer. Now, here is my philosophy, is that if we can get that excited about soccer or sports, we ought to get even more excited about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen? 
Amen. The the other way of spoken voice is singing. Psalms 47 and 6 says, sing praises to God, sing praises to our king, sing praises, and then also meditate. Psalms 1 and 2 says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law doth he meditate both day and night. Another way that we worship God is even through our posture. Um, we lost a lot in the in the church um, of the posture or the reverence um, towards God. And, you know, one of the things is that in, in a certain season of church history, I think we kind of went to one extreme where it was considered irreverent, um, you know, if you even talked or even uh, uh, responded um, to what God was doing. But um, one of the things that was a part of it, and maybe we may not do it in a physical posture, but it can be a heart posture, is bowing or kneeling. Psalms 90 5 and 6 says, come let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. And so bowing is an act of surrender and sacrifice unto the Lord. Another aspect of posture that is a part of worship is what is shared in Psalms 119. It says, my flesh trembles in fear of you. I stand in awe of your laws. Uh, when What happens when you're before a dignitary or a royalty? Or what happens when there is a wedding and the bride is coming down the aisle? What do you all do? You stand up. It's a sign of reverence to someone who is being honored. And so one of the ways that we worship God, and you'll notice that we stand through our time of worship, uh, it's not because we want to see how long you can stand on your legs, but it's an act of worship as we stand and give honor to the God that we serve. Another aspect of uh, a posture of worship is dancing before the Lord. Now, I know there are some church circles where dancing uh, before the Lord is considered taboo, (laughs) Um, but um, we saw the day. David was one who danced before the Lord. And in Psalms 149 and 3, it says, let them praise him with dancing and make music to him with tambourine and harp. And we dance before the Lord as an expression of joy and exuberation for all that the Lord has done. Finally, the instrument that God has given to us is our hands. What can we do with our hands as instruments of worship? Our hands can use to be, be used to play instruments. As you see our musicians, one of the ways that the Lord gives us to be able to worship is to be able to play instruments. And Psalms 32 says, praise the Lord with the harp, make music to him on a 10-string lyre, sing to him a new song, play skillfully and shout for joy. The second instrument with our hands that God has given unto us, come on, everybody put your hands uh, up like this and let's put them together. All right, you did pretty good. Let's do it twice. All right. He says, the, the word of the Lord says, clap your hands, all ye nations, shout to God with cries of joy in Psalms 47 and 1. And so one of the things that we do is we clap our hands as a sign of applause towards, not towards those who are uh, leading us in worship, but as a sign of applause to the God that we serve. And finally, an expression that we do with our hands as an act of worship is what it says in Psalm 63 and 4, I will pray praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. Um, The lifting up of our hands is a sign of surrender. Um, We often see it when someone says, put your hands up, but in the context of serving our Lord, it's a sign to say we voluntarily surrender our lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so when you see people throughout worship lifting their hands, what they are saying is, Lord, I worship you through surrendering my life and saying, you deserve the glory. Amen.
Amen. Can we stand together this morning as we close this morning and we're going to respond in a moment in song and an opportunity for us to put into practice some of the practical tools that we have learned. One of the things that I want us to understand is that, you know, from culture to culture, we have different ways that we worship God. And my goal is not to change our culture or not to change what we are um, used to. In the African-American community, we're used to clapping on two and four. Some of us are used to clapping on one and three. Um, But whatever way that you clap whatever way that you want to express to God, my challenge to you is not to do it because you want to mimic what others are doing, but my encouragement to you is that through the expression of your worship, do it with your whole heart. If you don't clap or shout for joy or lift your hands because you're more concerned about what others will think, you've made worship about you. But We do those things because as the Spirit reveals to us more about the character and the nature of God, it becomes a natural response to say, I want to give God my best. Amen? Amen. I invite the musicians and the worship team to come forward, and I just want to give this encouragement in closing this morning. Let us always seek to grow in our worship towards the Lord. May we ever allow his spirit to move in us as he directs our actions and responses in worship. After all, it is all about him and for him. So this morning, we're going to sing a song of praise just before we take communion this morning. Uh, But in our praise, feel free As the spirit leads, if you want to clap your hands, if you want to lift your hands, if you want to shout for joy, however you want to respond this morning, we invite you to participate in. And children all across the room, we invite you with the joy that you have this morning to join us as we sing this morning.